Sheesh. What an absolute privilege to be standing up here this morning. Let me just turn on my notes here. Good morning, Glenridge. <laughs> good start. Sheesh, right? Thank you so much for that introduction. I really hope they are as good as you say. But uh, I know God will do what he wants to do, despite. So, um, yeah, thank you, Lord. So, let's get into it. So, one of the big themes at Glenridge at the moment is this theme of breaking camp. It's this theme of crossing the river into the promised land. Just, I mean, even with Chanel Rousseau, who was who's a, an NCMI gift, a prophetic gift, um, she was at Glenridge a few weeks ago now, and um, she had these most incredible words just about breaking camp, about um, Glenridge taking land, about legacy, just these incredible, just insightful words for us. And, um, and a little while ago, uh, also I think about two or three weeks ago now, we had the Glenridge Leaders Time. Um, and quite a cool little exercise that um, some of the guys planned where we split up into groups and we were given this big A2 piece of paper and we had to draw and write some um, around this topic of breaking camp and write words and in your team you, and then you had to um, explain it. And one of the big themes was this idea of preparation, of being well prepared to break camp, the need to be prepared to break camp well. And the need for us to deal with our baggage, the need for us to deal with stuff that might be weighing you down, any sin that might be weighing you down, and things, those things that are weighing us down, could be, it's, it's so important because those things can rob us from stepping into everything that God's got for us across the river. And so... This morning, I wanted to speak around the way that we approach sin. And I stumbled across this topic a little while ago. Um, I was a part of a conversation with Raymond Eses, and um, he was chatting around Scripture and around the interpretation of Scripture and around how our interpretations of Scripture can change over time the more, that we, the more time we spend in them, the concepts in the Bible, the all of those things. And he used a personal example where um, he was prepping for a preach on sin. And um, it came down to like the night before. And he realized, flip, I've been looking at this completely wrong. And he had to like buckle down and try and do this and, and figure this out again. And so, and what he'd done is, so he'd titled his preach, Fish Are Friends, Not Food. I don't know if you've, I'm sure everyone who's got young kids would have seen Finding Nemo. I'm sure lots of us have. Anyway, and it's about this little, I'm not going to go into the story of it, but it's about this little fish that goes missing, and it's all about finding Nemo, and he encounters all these, these this big group of sharks in one of the, and as a part of the story. And this group of sharks has the saying, fish are friends, not food, because they're trying to make friends with the fish, but they like eat the fish. So it's like, Anyway, and um, so they've got this, this club of them that meet together, and this main shark is the main guy, and he's like, oh, fish are friends, not food. It's like their motto. Um, but the trouble is, 
you, you, as you see the movie go on, when there's a drop of blood in the water and the, one, and the main shark sniffs it, he's like, ooh, sheesh, that's so good. And he goes and he just goes down the spiral and he gets right back to where he started. And so Ray realized that he was approaching it from a place where we, we start, where as people who are saved, we start from a place, from that place. We start from a place of trying not to smell the blood. When in actual fact, when we are saved, when we are in Christ, we start from a place of transformation. We start from a place where we are new creations, reconciled in Christ. And I mean, I don't think Ray spent more than 30 seconds on it. I've spent a little bit longer, but just, just touched on it. And, but it just gripped me. And I just, I felt like I completely disengaged from the conversation we were having. And God was just ministering to me profoundly. And part of the reason was because I was taken back to some of the sinful patterns that I've had to walk through in my life. And I realized, I was, I was, I've been approaching it as though I'm walking up a downwards escalator. And I'm walking up and I'm walking up and I, and I feel like I'm doing so good, but the escalator's going down. So it's tough, but I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And then I stumble and I fall and I end up right back to where I started. Without realizing that actually in Christ, it's the other way around. In Christ, we're walking up an upwards escalator. And so it was just so profound. And it's something that's, it seems so simple, but we often, so many of us overlook. And you, like we don't realize what that means to actually be in Christ, to be saved, to be a brand new creation in Christ. Where actually our noses no longer smell the blood. We're brand new creations. And so, yo, this just gripped me. And, um, yeah, and I mean, what I think what, what took me even more is that there's, it's throughout the Bible. It jumps out at you, this thing of new creation. And we read it and we're like, oh, sheesh, okay. But, so, example, in Romans 6, Paul's talking to the Gentile Christians. Verse 2 to 4, he says, How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, and were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore by him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, we too might walk in the newness of life. From verse 12 to verse 4, he says further, he says, Let sin therefore not reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. It's like there's this clear, clear, crystal clear theme of this idea of transformation when we get saved. And, and when we accept Christ, we are new creations. We need to, reckon, we need to recognize that we have been reconciled in Christ. We, I mean, when I first heard that, I mean, I've heard that my whole life, you know, we, we, we reconciled with Christ, and I thought that just meant to, you know, like we with Christ, you know? But, no, no, the word reconciled in the Greek means to completely change. 
I mean, isn't that profound? In Christ, we are completely changed. New, brand new creations. So if, if I also just wanted to say, if there's anyone here this morning who's struggling with a, with a sinful pattern that you can't seem to shake, and you're hearing this and you're thinking, sheesh, yes, well, I've been looking at this thing completely wrong. Please come and chat to me afterwards. Because today, God wants, Jesus wants to break that over you. Right now, today. So my question to you is, what way do you approach sin? Because you know what sin can be like? Sin can be like a bad smell. And although sometimes it's a good smell, which is part of the problem. But, but for my analogy, bad smell works. And it's because it stinks. And much like sin, you know it when you smell it. And... The, so the, what I associated with a bad smell, something in my life, is dog poop. I don't know if any of you guys have got inside dogs that sleep inside overnight and doors closed or whatever. Alarms on, so they're inside. And overnight, you wake up to this beautiful, pungent aroma that just flows through the house. And it's just this us. And much like sin, you know exactly what it is when you smell it. And so many of us, our default way to dealing with that smell is we approach it with a can of air freshener. We, and what we end up doing is we, we end up training our fingers when to spray instead of recognizing that our noses actually no longer smell. And so what happens when we train our fingers? Well, what happens is, is you spray and you spray and you spray and you spray. But you know what happens is your fingers get tired. Your fingers get tired because we're doing it out of our own strength. And I know from some of the stuff that I've had to walk through, the biggest lie, the biggest lie that the devil has is that you can do it out of your own strength. So if you are struggling with that today, this is the sign, this is the, often you think, oh, well, I'll, I'll get it right when God speaks, when, you know. This, today is the day. Today is the day. You are not strong enough. There is something about, we, we need Jesus. We cannot do it by ourselves. There's something about our need and our desire for Jesus that completes that perfect picture of us in union with God. There's something beautiful about that. We need Jesus. And you know why? Because the smell always comes back. Until you deal with it, the smell always comes back. You can spray that, I've tried with the dog poop, dog poop analogy. You can spray that can as much as you want. The smell is still manages to find a way through. And eventually what ends up happening is, it starts to make a cocktail with the air freshness. I know it's just terrible, terrible. Absolutely terrible. Guys, there's always a smell in the air. It's a temporary fix. Air, a can of air freshener, temporary fix. And Paul tells us that in, in Galatians, when I won't read it, but he's speak, speaking critically to the churches of Galatia. And it's in Galatians 5, verse 16 to 26, he speaks, it's where he's talking about the passions of the flesh. 
the desires of the flesh, and he lists them. And I don't know if you've read through that list, but I can only read through that list being convicted afterwards. Because all of those things, at least one of those things, it ranges from sexual immorality to jealousy to it's just this long list of stuff that, that is earthly, that's of our flesh. And speaks about the desires and the works of the flesh. And reminding us that there's always a smell in the air. You know, our, our, he reminds us that our bodies pull us towards our, their sinful nature. That's why we can't do it alone. We need Jesus. We need to understand that we are brand new creations. When we're approaching sin, we are brand new creations first. So what does it mean to be transformed? And you know what? It can be tough to walk through this transformation. It's because it means you have to deal with it. It means you have to pick up the poop. It means you have to get your hands dirty and deal with it. The only way to get rid of that smell is to pick it up. And being a part of, being in Jesus, being a part of, being a part of this brand new creation that we are when we are saved means that we don't train our fingers we don't try and build our breakthrough on this temporary fix. We understand that we are transformed creations and we deal with that stuff right then, right now. Jesus mentions throughout the Bible that we need to, he, he mentions this word abide. We need to abide in him. And it's so beautiful, that word abide um, is used in the same instance as in the Greek, it's the same word, and it means the same word as reside. It's so beautiful to take up residence. When they're speaking about that, when they went from town to town to take up residence, they use the same word as abide. And it's so beautiful, isn't that? It's like Jesus residing, taking up residence in our hearts. So part of being a new creation and being walking out this transformation is making sure that we are abiding in him. One John three verse five to six says, "You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him, in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Guys, we are in him as he is in the Father. Do we understand that? Do we understand that that's the place that we we start?" When we are approaching sin, we don't start from any other place if we are in Christ. And in John 14, verse 8, Jesus captures this so profoundly, so profoundly. He says, it's, I'm paraphrasing now, he says, Philip is talking to Jesus and he says, it'll be enough for them. Je, uh, Jenny actually mentioned it at uh, prayer this last week, I think it was. Philip's saying, it'll be enough for them if Jesus would just show them the Father. Just show us the Father and that'll be enough. And he responds so profoundly. Just beautifully describing what it means to be in Jesus. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
So profound, so profound. And so simple. So simple to our understanding of what it means to be saved. We need to be in him. We need to abide in him. And if we are in Christ, we don't approach sin from a, from a place of trying to, trying to sort out. We approach sin from a place of, actually, I'm a brand new creation. I'm going to deal with this right now because I'm walking in transformation, not in my flesh. So guys, to be transformed, we need to abide in him. We need to recognize that we're new creations. And when we're approaching sin, if that is you today, please come and chat to me afterwards. Tyler Page is going to speak after me, but please, today is your day. Today is your day to deal with that thing, to pick up the book. Please, please come and pray with me. We're not going to base our breakthrough around temporary fixes. We're not going to train our fingers to spray. We need to recognize that our strength is not enough. We need Jesus. We need him. And all of this so that we can make sure that we are well prepared to break camp. So that we can break camp well. Not carrying baggage. I don't know if you, we're going to cross the river. I don't know if you ever try to swim with a backpack on. It is the most challenging thing. Shed that thing. Shed that thing. Don't let that thing weigh you down. So that we can break camp well and live in the freedom that it means to be in him. Thank you. Good morning, Glenridge Church. How are you? Firstly, thank you so much for your kind words, Ray. Uh, I just really appreciate this opportunity, and I've really appreciated being fathered by you and being in your home, so thanks, Ray. This morning, um, what I'm going to speak about is this idea of the curtain being torn. And um, over the last few weeks and months in Glenridge, it's like worship has just been electric. I don't know about you, but it's like we came into 2022, and there was something in the water that God was like, um, it's, I'm on. Like, are you ready? Because he's ready. And um, we, we were singing the song that, that Brandon and the team had written, um, Your Love is an Open Jordan. And it was another Glenridge moment. Can I just say, what a privilege is it to be part of this community? So, so we were in this moment singing, your love is an open Jordan, and it was like there was this groundswell of excitement. It was like in my spirit, I could feel myself like in the Jordan River with a wall of water next to me, and I could see the promised land. I could see Durban ruled by peace. I could see people finding freedom. I could see the Spirit of God in, in the city. I could see South Africa being synonymous with justice and administration and economy. I could see it. I could see what the promised land looked like. And, and it was in the middle of that moment that I felt the Father whisper and say to me, my girl, in this season, I need you to live like a star breathing, tender whispering, death raising God of the universe is your dad. And I need you to risk like he's your dad. So if I do one thing this morning, I really hope that I can unpack some things that will help us walk into the season well. And, and to, to unpack that. So can we pray quickly? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you are good, that you are kind. And God, would you radically encounter us this morning? Would your truth be sown deeply into our hearts? And God, would we see you for who you are? Amen. 
So this morning, I want to speak out of the book of Matthew. I want to read out of verse 27, verse 50 to 53. So if you're new to the Bible or to the scriptures, Matthew is the first gospel in the Bible. It's about 75% of the way through the book. And um, we're, we're jumping straight into it, you know. Verse 27 is right at the end, and it actually looks at the crucifixion of Jesus. And Matthew, he was a tax collector, a pretty pragmatic guy. So being counter, he tells it like it is. He's pretty narrative. And um, what he's done in this gospel is he's spoken about the birth, the life, the teachings, and the death of Jesus. Worship was great, but my goodness. That's better. So I'm going to jump straight into it from verse 50. It says, And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split open, the tombs broke open, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Pandemonium. And you know my favorite thing about that scripture is he just carries on. And I think that's just like me sometimes. In the busyness of life, I miss the significant things. Matthew goes on to talk about the practicalities of burying Jesus before the Sabbath and doing this and which person was involved and who said what. But right in the middle of the crucifixion story, there's this little sentence that says, the temple curtain was torn. The curtain that they're talking about in, in this scripture is the temple in, is the curtain in the temple of God. And what this curtain did was it separated the holy of holies to the outer parts of the temple and the city. And, and this space called the holy of holies was what, what was said to host the presence of God. And not just anybody went in. It was only once a year that not just any priest, but the high priest after offering much sacrifices on behalf of the whole nation, would go in and offer this, this sacrifice to the living God as a foreshadowing of Jesus. They didn't know at the time, but they were actually just pointing to the cross every, every year and at every step. But he would go in, and it was so holy that historians say that they actually used to put a bell on his ankle on a rope because in case he went in and the presence of God struck him down, they wanted to be able to pull him out. That was the presence of God. And um, this curtain was not a great Gatsby billowing in the wind, gauzy separation. Historians say that it was probably about, probably about 10 to 15 centimeters thick, so about this thick. So when God says he rent the curtain and tore the curtain from the top to the bottom, it was a feat of engineering. Uh, Matt's the engineer, not me, but that's pretty impressive because when God does something, he does it properly. What happened when the curtain of the temple was split was the equivalent in the spiritual realm of splitting the atom. Because what he did was for the first time, the presence and the power of God came so thin, that the separation between God's presence and power was so thin with humanity that that rocks started crying and, and tombs were opened and, the, and the, sky, the sun failed. That is what the presence of God is and that is what we have access today. That is what we have access through Jesus. 
You see, a couple of months ago, I was reading this book by A.W. Tozer, and he's the most incredible writer, and he can be a bit heady and profound, and there was this whole chapter dedicated to the omnipresence of God. And I read it, and I was like, I went to Sunday school. Like, I get it. Like, we have access to his presence until I realized oh my goodness, I've missed it this whole time. How many, how many times, has it been dozens or hundreds of times, have I prayed, Lord God, I want your presence. Would your presence come down? And he's saying, my girl, I tore it at Calvary. Uh, you access my, pre- my presence from the position of a daughter that actually at every moment, whether I feel it or I not, or whether I feel it or I don't, whether I shake or I don't, we have access to the presence of the living God because Jesus tore his body. See, the reason why this is so important to get is because the enemy would have us believe that that moment on, on the cross was legal vindication and not a father restoring relationship and closeness. He would have us believe that we, we, we're petitioning through an iron curtain or, or from court docks, but actually we're children sitting on our father's lap whispering into his ear because he tore his body open so we could be close with him again because it's always been about closeness with the Father. Access comes from position. A few weeks ago or months ago now, um, I, I was driving my car and I was about to park it and it made a sound that I knew was not good. <laughs> I'm not a mechanic, but it, it shuddered and it shook. So I got out and I, I had my phone and I was there was like an orange oil that all the mechanics in the room can probably identify immediately, but I knew it wasn't good. So I phoned my dad, who amongst other things was a diesel mechanic. So we, we're talking and we're FaceTiming and I'm under the car and we're smelling the oil and I don't know, all the things. And we decide that it's probably my auto transmission system. Girl talk the steering stuff. So I was like, okay, the steering stuff is broken. This is a problem. Like, power steering left the room a while ago. All right. So we're figuring it out. And he says to me, you know what, babe? Just get it to the workshop and give them my name. That's a dad. And so we put the phone down, and I'm moving the car, and I'm sorting out how I'm going to get it there and where the nearest one is and, you know, how I'm going to get to work the next day. And, and I get another phone call in the middle of all of this because my dad, in his kindness, has taught me how to solve problems. One problem at a time until you get breakthrough. Simple. So I'm solving the problems, and he says to me, Ta, can you get four liters of ATF fluid? I'll be there in 90 minutes. And what you guys don't realize is it was about half past eight at night, on a Sunday evening, and my dad was 150 kilometers away. But he got in his car and, and drove through the night and dropped off his car and then stopped, I don't know how many K, every how many Ks to put more fuel in so that the car would still steer on the highway on the way home in the dead of night. We have access because we positioned as his children. God is that God to us. He's if my earthly dad will drive 150 kilometers in the, in the dead of night to give me his car, how much more can we risk with an earthly father that gave us a son? See, risk rests in relationship. 
we're only at risk with those that we trust. And if we are going to go into a season of taking territory and bringing freedom and shaking chains, we've got to know who our dad is. If we're going to have boldness, it needs to rest in intimacy. Because when we come and encounter God, he brings wholeness. He can't help it. When I came, when I came to, to my dad with a problem and there was a moment where I could treat him like a mechanic or I could treat him like a father. He doesn't just come to fix our problems. He comes to partner with us and give us wholeness. You see, when the curtain was split, dead things came to life. Hope came, hopelessness came to hope. Light came to darkness. Or oh, the other way around, but the, met- the metaphor carries. It, sa- it says in Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have this confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, in Hebrews it says we walk in boldly and confidently where before it used to be a high priest only once a year and he didn't know if he drew the short he didn't know if he actually drew a short straw or not. He was like this is a real honor, but I hope I come out alive because the presence of God is so powerful and holy. That is the presence that we get to now boldly as a daughter of a king say, Dad, I want to partner with you. We can't help but walk into the presence of God and be different. It says here in in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we who with unveiled faces, he removed everything for intimacy with us, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, we don't just get access, we get wholeness. We have access to the presence of God, so it transforms us. We have access to to the spaces behind the curtain so we come out looking like Jesus because what is the point of having face time with the King of Kings, with a star-breathing God if we don't come out of that encounter finding something of hope again, something of wholeness again? Dads can't help but bring wholeness when you come into their presence because that's what dads do. See, we sing, you turn graveyards to gardens. But we can't engage with the garden and not realize that that's true. In Ezekiel 37, verse 1 to 28, there's a story and the prophet gets into the spirit, the, the spirit shows this prophet this valley of bones, of dry bones. And he says to him, prophesy to these bones and tell them to live. So it says, I prophesied over these bones, saying to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And behold, there was a rattling. I want to say to you this morning, if we look at our lives and these areas that feel like dry bones of hopelessness, stuff, dreams that haven't come to pass, freedom that we just haven't got yet, we just don't talk about it, it's a dry bone, but we just let it be over there. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. His scripture says he transforms us. His scripture says he gave us his love. We have access to the presence of God. The presence of God transforms us. And the presence of God transforms us for the people on the other side of those moments. It says in Romans 8, it says, creation eagerly awaits for the sons and daughters of the living God to, to, to be revealed. It says here, it says somewhere. <laughs> um, 
a few weeks ago, I was in another church context and we were singing this beautiful song. And the, the chorus went something like this. It's, it said, heaven joins in, um, it said, heaven joins in with a glorious sound and a great cloud of witnesses all gather round. And it was beautiful. It was like this big tender moment where it felt like the whole room was engaged and worshiping God. It was like you could feel every heartbeat just, just yearning to give the Father praise. But it was more than that. It felt like we were joining in with heaven. It felt like we were slipstreaming what all of creation and the heavens were always doing, giving the only thing worthy of our attention, honor and praise. And I was caught up in this moment, and I was like, God, you're beautiful. And um, the line that says, and a great cloud of witnesses is a great great cloud of witnesses all gather round. If you'll forgive the vulnerability with you this morning, it was like for a moment I could feel myself worshiping with my grandfather who I unfortunately didn't get the opportunity to meet. And it was like in a moment we were connected by something so much more significant than blood. It was like the whole room and the whole world for a moment had like a thinness of time where past, present, future were actually just focused on the glory of the king. And I was caught up in this moment and then the chorus changes. It says, it says, because the ones that were lost are finally found. The father is welcoming. This is our homecoming. And it was like in this moment where I was so caught up in his presence, so caught up in finding his heart and honoring his heart, it was like the Holy Spirit took my focus and put it to the ground and reminded me of a, of a dear family member that knows the Lord and has loved the Lord and built his bride, but is not with him at the moment. And I was sobered. It, like, it was like I was caught in this moment from being so focused on the heart of God and, and, and connecting with his heart to now seeing what was on his heart. That this whole moment that I had in encountering the presence of God and saying, God, change and transform my heart was actually only for the people that, was, that his heart was for. We can't encounter the presence of God without changing and changing for a purpose. You see, people are our prize and our great reward. You can tell the value of something by how much it costs. And Jesus didn't just tear his flesh open for us to talk to him. He bore closeness with all of his children. The Father encounters us for his presence to transform us and then to partner with us to, to welcome his children home. It's about us, but it's actually never been about us. It's been about dads and his kids. It was in the middle of that moment where the world got very big again. It went from just being about me connecting with the Father and this beautiful moment, which is so good, we need those, to actually just being like, wow, God, <laughs> I don't know. This has been a long one. This hasn't been a, a six-monther. This has been a big one. And I felt the Father whisper, whisper to me tenderly, my babes, can you trust me like you trust your dad to have this one? And I feel like as we walk into a season of taking ground that looks like people, of taking cities that looks like victory, of taking nations that looks like freedom, we need to know who our dad is.
because we're not going to risk unless we have relationship with him. We're not going to risk unless, unless you, let, you let him transform us. So in closing, can I ask us for one thing? Can we live like the curtain was really and truly torn 2,000 years ago? Can we pray? Lord God, I pray that you would give us a radical, radical living God. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would, you, you, you would give us a relationship with you that, that, makes it, that, that enables us to put weight on it, God. Would we understand that you are capable of handling failure and risk? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are so proud of our progress and you so celebrate every step. And Lord God, would you give us joy and peace as we walk this with you. Amen.